Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm your host, Neil Blackman. Uh, today, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and I are going to talk about Florida's bounce-back victory over Arkansas last night. It wasn't pretty, um, but road wins in the conference, road wins period, sometimes never are. So uh, we're going to break that down, we're going to answer some listener questions, and then we'll spend a good amount of time talking about Tennessee um, and and what an immense challenge uh, awaits the Gators Saturday at home in, in the O-Dome. Um, but, but a great opportunity as well. Thanks for listening, and, and remember to subscribe on iTunes or Google or Spotify, Stitcher, any of the various platforms where you're able to subscribe or just pound a heart button. And uh, hit us up with feedback, too. Um, we, we love the feedback, uh, positive or negative. Anything we can do to make the show better, because the show is for you, not us. Um, take care. All right, everybody. Um, we are back. And uh, I have Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We're uh, going to talk about Florida's win over Arkansas, um, take listener questions, and then preview big matchup with uh, number three, Tennessee, uh, Saturday night in the Odom. But um, first, Florida bounces back from a uh, disappointing season-opening loss to South Carolina at home by winning in a very difficult place to win, a game that they controlled for what would you say 35 minutes and then suddenly didn't control anymore <laughs> yeah i'm not sure they were quite uh i don't know maybe controlling it for some of that first half even though they were ahead but i would say they had a handle on things for most of it we're definitely yeah. controlling it for about you know 10 minutes or so um from 10 or 15 minutes when they kind of got a you know the lead of eight that swelled to you know 16 um and then like you said um just like, you know, grains of salt through their fingers just started to, uh, <laughs> things, things started to just fall apart. And uh, there was one point, and I mean, um, um, Andrew Spivey from Gator Country, who's, uh, you know, writes, uh, writes about football and recruiting. Yeah, he said, <laughs> we don't often text during basketball games, but he just sent me this text that was just like, here we go again. Um, and I think at that point, it was only, uh, you know, it was when we, uh, the lead went from like 19 to, or like 16 to like nine. And even then, um, uh, you know, he felt it and, uh, oh man, I felt it too. Yeah, yeah. Mike White said, uh, Florida was fortunate to win. Um it's funny that there are different ways to look at this. One is Florida got out rebounded, shot 31% from the field, 23% from three point range and one on the road. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at, th- at this point of the season, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not surprised that the Gators can win ugly. Cause it just seems like that's, uh, that's the way it's going to be. If they're, if they're going to win games against good opponents and, um, that that is what's kind of nice about uh, about the Gators, as much as you know their style of play is really, really, really frustrating a lot of fans right now. Is I mean, um, uh, that was kind of how you went on the road, uh, not just um, uh, not just for the Gators, but I mean, there's that's a whole lot of uh, a team's kind of formula for how you went on the road. You you make it really ugly. You don't want it to be a shootout because usually the shootout goes in the favor of the uh, the home team that's shooting on their own rims. So. Uh, as much as Gators fans were frustrated, um, I mean, look at the television broadcast and see some of those Arkansas fans at Bud, at Bud Walton. I mean, they <laughs> they were frustrated by the Gators. So, um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's something that uh, we'll probably just have to see more and more as if the Gators are going to win. They're going to have to keep uh, winning ugly like this. Yeah, the uh, the old the old saying coined by Dean Smith was uh, was or, or is uh, defense defense travels, and I think I think that's one of those things that uh, that Florida fans will learn to. They might not like it, but maybe they'll appreciate it about this Florida team. Is I think Florida will be in a lot of their road games just because of the way that they defend. Yeah, it seems like they've uh, they've been in kind of all their games outside of Florida State this year because of their defense. But yeah, it's especially on the road. Um, and I think that that's something that you even see in the NCAA tournaments a little bit. And it's something that you and me have even talked about in one of our, I think maybe the first podcast we ever did together, talking about how um, playing really fast and playing run and gun, that just historically has not worked in the tournament. Because in those neutral sites, postseason games, I mean, it's a lot of times it comes, it's a rock fight and it comes down to, uh, to who can win ugly. And um, I mean, if the Gators can find a way to um, uh, get some wins and get a half decent seed into the N- and get into the NCAA tournament with a, uh, you know, on, on the good side of the draw, I mean, they're, they're going to be able to maybe uh, surprise some teams because if the games get ugly and shots don't fall, that probably benefits the Gators more than whoever they're playing against. So let's talk a little bit about, and, and those are all, you know, I think excellent points and, and, um, Let's get into some of that defensive performance. Uh, Daniel Gafford's going to be a lottery pick. Uh, really just a masterful job by Kavarius Hayes. And, and I think we should rightly point out Dante Bassett. Uh, <laughs> um, just defending him last night. I also thought Florida did a really nice job of helping on Gafford in a way that some of it was just effort in getting back the shooters when Gafford did pass. And I do think Arkansas did not necessarily pass the ball to Gafford as much as they should have on the block. But when they did, I thought Florida had a pretty good plan and, and they helped a lot with their guards, quick guards. It seemed to bother him a little bit. What did you uh, see there? Yeah, I think you mentioned something that I, I do think that Florida maybe got bailed out a little bit by the way that, um, that Arkansas didn't shoot the ball. Well, I actually, I thought that the Gators probably overhelped actually, in my opinion, a lot of times. And luckily, I mean, Isaiah Joe, who's been an awesome shooter this year, uh, he was ice cold. Um, and I think that, um, uh, I think that they probably, you know, if, if one or two or three of those shots fall for Isaiah Joe, uh, uh, the defense probably looks a little more scrambled for the Gators. Um, right. But uh, yeah, but one-on-one, yeah. Kamari Hayes had some good, um, some good moments. Um, yeah. And uh, right down in the clutch, you know, Gafford had that one really nice post move where he spun off, but don't, don't say Bassett, but, but I mean, overall they, they mostly contained him. So um, pretty good defensive effort overall, obviously by the, by the points um, the way that they forced turnovers was incredible. Um, they forced turnovers in pretty much every fashion you could. It wasn't just, um, uh, you know, stealing, picking off passes. Uh, uh, their press forced some um, some some passes kind of over the top that sailed too far and went out of bounds. Um, they picked off some guys one on one. You know, they took offensive fouls. Just a- any way you could create turnovers, the Gators did, and I thought that was really good. Career high in minutes for Dante Bassett with twenty three, um, five rebounds, one assist. This gets to a point that, that you and I made on an earlier podcast when we answered a listener question about Bassett, which was that Dante will play when he screens hard and defends. And guess what? Last night he screened hard and defended. Yeah, the thing about um, about Bassett is, is that I think that there's not a lot of great matchups for him because in the sense that he is a guy that um, – 
defensively, he's not a guy that you want on the perimeter a ton. Um, you probably don't want him screen, guarding screen and rolls a ton, but um, you know, one-on-one battling down low in the post um, that's where Bassett's kind of best defensive work is done. So um, this was a good night for him because he had a matchup with, you know, a incredible post player in, in Daniel Gafford. So I think he was able to stay on the floor that way. And um, uh, against, against some other teams that uh, might try to put him in screen and roll a little bit more, I think he'll probably have a little bit more of a difficult time staying on the floor and, that's where you'll need more uh, Kavarius Hayes at that position. But yeah, tonight he was good, and, uh, or last night, I should say. And uh, also just the fact that he was able to finish some, uh, some shots around the rim, and that's obviously something that Kavarius Hayes has struggled with. Um, Bassett had a really key and one. And um, yeah, that's another thing that, I mean, if he can uh, catch Andrew Nemhart passes at the chest and, and finish them at the rim, um, that'll also be a thing that kind of commands some minutes at the five. Yeah, I thought that was one of Florida's best sequences of the night. The uh, and and it it started with with a really hard, well set screen by Bassett. Oh yeah, and and the importance of of setting screens for this Florida team is obviously we just we know that they don't generate a lot of offense, and I think that there's just like a little bit of of offense that comes down to setting hard screens and coming off those screens really hard and. Um, if Bassett sets a screen on the ball and rolls really hard to the hoop and can command a help side defender to have to come in and, and tag him on that roll to make sure that pass doesn't come through, that gives a perimeter option for a Nemhart to kick it. Out. It just, it just kickstarts the offense in a way that we just maybe haven't seen so far. And, um, Bassett just seems to attract just a little bit more attention than a Kavarius Hayes right now. And, um, that makes him just a little bit better offensively. So let's let's also talk about another member of Florida's bench who I thought was really good last night was uh, Mike Vicaru. Um, Thirteen minutes for Mike, and and again, not a guy that ever really wows you in in the box score, but uh, certainly um, it's just the little things that he does off the ball. I thought he really did a nice job harassing Isaiah Joe in some situations, and and uh, he's really good at denying passing lanes. I think too. Yeah, he plays angles really, really well and kind of aligns his shoulders and his hips in a way that he's kind of um, half in, in kind of gap help support, but also kind of half taking away a passing lane. And he'll kind of goat you into uh, to some bad passes that he can pick off or um, he just kind of pushes you out and, and makes, makes the guy he's guarding have to go, you know, 30 feet from the hoop to go catch a pass instead of just outside the three-point line. And yeah, there's definitely no, we, yeah, we didn't, not that we expected it, but yeah, there's definitely no defensive drop off with him in the game. Um, it was really great to see one of his three point shots fall. Um, he had, he got fouled. It certainly looked like it. He got fouled. Oh yeah. And that would have been a good, uh, oh, that would have <laughs> felt good for him too to have a four point play. But yeah. um, you know, and that, th- that first one that left his hand to his first shot was so crooked and, <laughs> It caught. I don't know if it even hit the square on the backboard. It was uh, it was way <laughs> off. So it was really good to see him hit another shot. And um, the other thing I really like about Okaro is he's just um, you, you catch him, you, you or you pass you pass him the ball in the perimeter. He catches it. Um, and he sees if he should drive or not. And if not, the ball he he moves it. He passes it out. He doesn't. Um, the ball doesn't stick with him. I think he knows that he's not. Uh, he kind of knows his offensive limitations. He's not going to catch it. See a defenders in the perfect position and then say okay, I'm going to break this guy down, bounce, bounce, through the legs, bounce. And just he, – he just doesn't do that. He sees, hey, is there a closeout I can attack? Nope, ball's moving. And um, I think that you're going to find some lineups that, uh, that really work well with him in it. Yeah, no, um, all, all 
Good point. So we, we had a listener question who wanted us to talk about the, the, the evolution of uh, Kayvon Allen kind of progress over four years, but I think we should just start with the game we played last night, which I thought, uh, you know, you heard on the broadcast that he was challenged by the coaching staff on uh, Monday, and I thought Kayvon really rose to that challenge. Um, to get 12 free throw shots and and to continually attack the basket. And we, we've talked about his issues finishing at the rim. They kind of are what they are at this point in his career. But I thought just, just really uh, kind of uh, really a, a tremendous performance. Well, the thing that I thought was kind of interesting was the fact that he's one for nine from the three-point line. And obviously <laughs> right. that number – well, and, and, you know, and I'm not saying that just to – not to rub it in or anything, but I don't think he's ever gone one for nine before. And I don't think he's ever really gone, you know, one for eight or one for seven, just because if he would go, you know, one for five, that probably meant he wasn't going to shoot the ball anymore. So I thought it was really interesting to see that he was still putting up shots. And the fact that he went one for nine um, is maybe shows a little bit more assertiveness than he has shown in the past. And um, so, I, yeah, I just thought that maybe that was interesting and hopefully, um, you know, maybe on maybe on Saturday that one for nine turns into four or five for nine, and, and he's got a really good shooting night. Um, I thought that uh, I thought he made some pretty uh, some pretty uh, bad errors though, right there at the end of the game where he first um, kind of fell uh, yeah. on that inbound pass and then threw it under his own hoop, which is obviously a little bit of a no no. I would have rather him <laughs> fell out of bounds or traveled and let the Gators set their defense, um, and then on the next possession he was sprinting up the floor and then tried to jam the ball into Dante Bassett. And then the pass got tipped away. And luckily it, uh, it went out and it saved the Gators ball, but he almost turned the ball over twice on two consecutive possessions in the clutch, which um, wasn't great, but um, yeah, he's uh, he made the free throws that, uh, that sealed things. And that was big. And he, we know his, uh, he's going to bring it on the defensive end all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the thing that gets lost in a lot of the focus on his offense is that he, um, I see, you know, he's, he's Florida's best on-ball defender. Um, and he's certainly Florida's best perimeter defender. And, yeah, I mean, the, the thing about – now, he did come back and bail Nimhart out towards the end. Although I felt like if Arkansas had not fouled, Florida might have gotten a 10-second violation. Oh, yeah, that would have that would have been interesting. I, I probably agree with you on that one. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I think maybe Kayvon gets to the stripe or maybe he can make a pass, but, but I, boy, I didn't know. I think Florida had, like, two seconds when they fouled him at, at most. Yeah, that so was, was uh, – that went in our favor. Yeah, it was kind of a – that was kind of a fiasco. In terms of the pass to Bassett, I didn't really have a – you know what? I didn't have a problem with him going fast there, but I felt like you could see on TV, like, if you're going to do that, just take it to the basket and play defense. Like – Seemed like he had a pretty clear line to the basket where he'd either make a shot or get fouled, didn't it? Yeah, I just don't think putting. I mean, let's let's say the pass made it into Bassett. Is that who you want the with the ball in that position at that right. time in the game when they're trapping? Um, so, so to me, it just it just didn't make a lot of sense. And and given the fact that he tried to force the ball in from a bad angle with a lot right. of de- defensive pressure coming from behind him when he's sprinting. Uh, yeah, just, um, I, I mean, he's, uh, he's usually a, been a pretty safe player, so I'm uh, not trying to crucify the guy. But, yeah, in that moment, um, I think he made a mistake, and luckily it, uh, it didn't end up being um, – I mean, it's, that one still stayed Florida basketball, so fantastic. 
one <laughs> one thing I one thing I wanted to to kind of note, and I think I I I did a little of this on Twitter to just try to set up this point I wanted to make was that this game because people you know oh here we go again was was a common refrain, and I understand that, and I still think when we've talked about on this show, Florida's had trouble closing games out for for really, you know this is the second season that it's been a problem. Um. Last night, Florida manufactured good shots out of the dribble drive, whether that was just Jalen and Kayvon being more aggressive, or really Andrew Nimhard trying to drive the ball through a little more, or, or whatever the reason was. Um, but then Florida didn't finish at the rim. Okay, pretty consistent problem. And then Florida missed a lot of open three-pointers. <laughs> yes, the three-pointers were not falling. And uh, one thing I thought that kind of worked well for the dribble drive offense was that Arkansas plays so aggressively on the perimeter and they really kind of get up on the ball carrier and kind of take away passing lanes. So because they kind of spread themselves out a little bit more, you know, if you can get your shoulders by your primary defender, um, you've kind of, you you don't have another guy that's right there in the gap. You can kind of um, get all the way to the rim. And and usually they have Daniel Gafford there. Obviously he mops up a lot of those. He kind of gives them the opportunity to play so aggressive on the perimeter. Um, and obviously foul trouble kept him out a little bit, but um, I thought that that, um, that did work pretty well for the Gators. I, I think it's the teams that play a little bit more of the pack line man defense and sag into the paint a little more that give, uh, give the Gators a little more issue with the dribble drive. So, uh, but, but yeah, it, it did seem like they generated a couple, uh, a little more decent shots out of it than uh, we're used to seeing. Right. I think, um, you know, I thought that that was, that's definitely, something that that was encouraging even though even though a lot of shots uh didn't go down but let's go ahead and deal with this this question about Kayvon Allen and its progression I mean I think the short answer for me um and this one came from the Gator Country message boards but I thought the short answer for me is um that Kayvon kind of actually and we talked about his shooting a little bit on the show but he kind of is what he is as a shooter, which is not a great perimeter jump shooter and not a great finisher at the rim. And, and that his, his ability to score was sort of this deceptive narrative that was created out of the fact that he can get really hot. Um, but he's not like a streaky shooter like Kenny Boynton, who's going to make X number of shots, you know, no matter what night it is. Right. Like, <laughs> Um, and then some nights Kenny was a microwave and then other nights he was three for 10. Um, I think Kayvon just has less microwave nights and what's improved at Florida is his ability to defend his ability. And we already criticized him for this today, but his ability to make decisions with the basketball and functionally be like a second point guard. And, um, certainly, uh, his steals numbers have improved every year. Yeah, that's one thing that I do find pretty interesting is um, if you look at just basketball on a whole, um, it's a lot of those guys that are the like um, kind of microwave type shooters that can get really cold or really hot. It just seems like a lot of them are defensive liabilities. You look at the NBA with um, guys like Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford or like, even in, like you look at guys like Jalen Hudson and it's a lot of guys that a lot of those guys are, are not great defenders and it just seems to be the whatever makeup makes a guy a streaky shooter doesn't usually lend itself to being a good defender. And at least Kayvon Allen has kind of brought, uh, kind of always brought it on that end. And 
Um, I would say the one thing about, about Kayvon Allen is that um, he hasn't really had like a career arc. It's kind of been like a career straight line. He hasn't really added much to the toolbox since, um, since day one. And um, I, I think that's, that's where a lot of people look to uh, look to Mike White and use that as a criticism towards him that, that Kayvon Allen hasn't been developed at all. And perhaps that's true to, uh, to some extent. But um, I don't put that all on the coaching staff. I, I really think that when it comes to kind of individual player skill development, um, d- like coaching plays a role in that. But I, I do think that's a lot on the player. And um, for Kayvon Allen, who's never been able to be um, a consistent catch-and-shoot guy, um, never been able to uh, finish at the rim at a, at a great level, um, sure, coaching could have helped that. And, and maybe they should have done more to – milk that out of him over the last three and a half years. But um, uh, to, to some extent, I, or I would say not to some extent to more like to me, that's more on the individual player than it is coaching. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that. And I'm actually curious what you think about that. Uh, I think, I mean, I think there's a lot to that. I just think that, that we saw Kayvon, I think Kayvon finished a little better at the rim as a prep player because of his size and because of opponents. Um, and so I think we got a little deceived by that. And I do think, you know, I, I kind of, I've always felt like at least the last couple of years, I've always felt like he, he is kind of a Kenny Boynton type volume shooter, which is why I was also encouraged by nine three pointers. Cause my sense is that Kayvon's shot isn't bad. It's not necessarily good either. Right. Like, but he. I don't know. He, I mean, we've all seen that he can make three or four in a row once once he sees the ball go in. That's kind of what Kenny was like. Um, except that you know, Billy just told Kenny to keep shooting, and Kenny didn't have real conscience about it. And Kenny could finish at the basket. Um, I think a lot better than Kayvon Allen. I don't know what your opinion about that is, <laughs> but uh, but you know, so so I don't know. I don't know if I would say that he hasn't developed, though. I just think people looked for offensive development so much when they look at Kayvon Allen, and they kind of ignore the fact that that he's been a better rebounder as a junior and a senior statistically. He's, he's been better as a, as a steals guy. And he's kind of blossomed into one of the best perimeter defenders in the country, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. too, the other, thing, the other thing as well is um, the fact that he has been really developed into um, – a second ball handler and a backup point guard really. Cause you know, in his freshman year, he wasn't, um, he wasn't a guy that handled the ball. He was kind of totally played off away from the ball and um, got opportunities to kind of catch and shoot. And um, he wasn't dribbling the ball up against pressure. And I think that that is something that's um, really challenging to do is to become a ball handler. Who's um, who's kind of has the ability to go against some of the best, you know, perimeter defenders in the, in the country and, and go, you know, maybe full court, like he had to uh, against some full court pressure yesterday. Um, and I think that's another kind of really good development thing for him. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I would agree with that and I'm not trying to, you know, and I think I'm sort of building on some of the points that Eric was making for, for the listeners, but I'm harping back on a point that, that both Eric and I made, I think after Atlantis, which was that, uh, I'm not sure which show it was, but I think it was the Atlantis show where we just kind of said that so much of Kayvon Allen, this, this discussion of his offensive development is built around this narrative that he was like an elite scorer. And I'm not really sure that's who Billy Donovan recruited. 
<laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Just, I'm just laughing because I just remembered I was actually going to bring this up on another show. I, um, <laughs> I didn't end up doing it, but I, and I forget what game it was now, but it was, um, it was Clark Kellogg was on the call. Um, I think it might've been Michigan state maybe, uh, but um, Clark Kellogg was on the call and, um, you know, Kayvon Allen had put up two, two threes on, on each uh, possession and two, two consecutive possessions and he missed both. And Clark Kellogg, who I really like. So I, I, I mean, I say this laughing, but I'm not trying to, uh, take away from a guy I really like as a broadcaster, but he's like, Oh, you know, that one spilled out, but that's, um, that's a really good look for a, for a good shooter in Kayvon Allen. Um, though he's really struggled to shoot this season and, um, and last season as well. And I, I just <laughs> laughed to myself and I'm like, if he's struggling to shoot this season and also had a bad shooting season last year, yet Clark Kellogg still, still like in his mind, when he sees Kayvon Allen, he still says, Oh, that three point shot, seven seconds into the possession semi-contested is a good look because Kayvon Allen is a shooter. And I, and I just, again, that the, the way that, the way that Kayvon Allen had like a 31% from three shooting freshman season and then had like, you know, a good solid 37% season as a sophomore. And that was enough to overcome a lot more sample size of him not being an elite shooter. And still that there's an idea out there that he's an elite shooter. I, I haven't really seen anything like it. And, um, Again, that makes it sound like I'm just trying to crucify Allen, and I'm and I'm just really not. It's just like you said, the narrative about him just um, isn't true. And if if he was branded as one of those tough as nails um, perimeter defenders, one of those just defensive dogs who got every loose ball, um, I I think that that would be awesome, and that would be probably a lot more. That would probably get him a lot more kind of publicity, even nationally, as one of these kind of like bulldog players you love in college. But instead, the narrative is this guy is a shooter who hasn't been able to hit shots. And I don't think that's fair to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I think that's true because it's a point I, I felt like is important to bring up uh, multiple times on our, on our show. Um, you know, Florida, when Florida crushed Virginia in the NCAA tournament, fun story about this. So, so Florida crushes the pack line. Um, and they, they actually kind of out defense the pack line, um, by, by playing at an even more meticulous tempo in that game than Virginia was used to. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember after the game, like Devin Robinson talking about, well, you know, we felt like they're the Kings and we could show them about that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, so interesting. Well, I had really good seats to that game. Uh, thanks again to my brother-in-law, if he's listening. And my seats were like four rows behind the Virginia bench. And early in the game, Kayvon Allen hits a three where London Ferrantes closed out in his face. And one of those threes that Allen sometimes makes where the guy's like right in his eye. And you're like, all right, you can't defend it any better than that. Arkansas made one of those last night late in the game on Kayvon Allen, actually. Um, <laughs> and... It was funny because they came to the TV timeout and Tony Bennett looked at, at London Parantes and was like, why are you closing out on that guy that hard? He can't make it. And it was mm. so it was so interesting because it's like, oh, Tony Bennett watched a lot of film and he determined that Kayvon Allen was not the elite shooter that everybody thought he was. And he was irritated that they had gotten that far a closeout on a 23-foot three-point jump shot. That is really interesting. That's a good story. And I mean, it is one of those things that if you take narrative completely out of the picture, 
And um, you just look at the numbers and um, you just wouldn't ever consider Kayvon Allen to be, to be an elite jump shooter. But anyway, yeah, that is a good story. I like that. They're just going to live with that shot, you know? And I thought it was, that was, that was kind of interesting to me. And that was part of Florida's little 12, nothing run. Um, kind of keyed by Justin Leon that, that gave Florida the huge lead at halftime. They didn't, they didn't relinquish, but. Oh, now but, that's a uh, shooter. Justin yeah. Leon. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? Like they, they would rather he, his defense was, we will guard Kenyon Barry and Devin Robinson. That's what Tony Bennett's scout was. And uh, you know, pretty smart scout oh uh, yeah I, I would i would say so and i mean that was an awesome awesome win for the gators and the way that they defended them but i mean uh virginia still probably defended well enough to win that basketball game they just couldn't sure. score on the gators <laughs> gators yeah, completely no. clamped them yeah right right so um that kind of answers that question i want to move quickly to tennessee because i i kind of wanted to spend some time on the balls just because they're so good and they're they're kind of uh, like the basketball coach in me is like, wow, so they're so great to watch. They're awesome to watch. I, I think just the way that um, the way that they move the basketball and the way that they um, they just get layups. It's just crazy. You, you watch them play basketball and it's just layup, layup, layup. It's it's just <laughs> it's just incredible. Like you said, from a coaching standpoint, from um, from a fan standpoint, I mean, I think there's probably some people that don't give them. Um, probably enough credit for their offense because they're not, you know, drilling a bunch of threes. They're not um, uh, getting a bunch of massive dunks. It's just like here, this guy's, you know, screen, screen, pass, pass, um, layup. It's in the hoop. And that's, uh, that's one thing about, about the way Tennessee plays is that um, they're a good three point shooting team. They're not an excellent shooting three point team. Um, And, uh, but, but man, they score in the paint at will. And uh, uh, the one thing that I think is interesting, like, they're a really good defensive team, but uh, I think that there's probably the narrative, especially looking at Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield and the fact that they've got Tennessee on their Jersey and you just, uh, with their success people, I think a lot of people kind of, Oh, it's like, they're so tough. They defend, they rebound and, and they definitely do that. They're really good defense. They do rebound well, but um, I mean, they're winning games with their offense. They're one of the best teams in the country because of their offense. Yeah. Okay. So we've we've got them scouted pretty similar. In fact, I was going to note that that when when Rick Barnes, who is you know probably a future Hall of Famer, <laughs> uh, when he's irritated with his team, it's usually about defense. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like they had they've had a couple kind of stinkers defensively, um, but but because they're so efficient offensively, uh, it, it hasn't really bit them much no and um that's something that is so interesting again about the um about the just tennessee story of this team that doesn't have the elite five-star talents or or anything like that that the fact that they do have these you know three-star guys that were in the 300s of recruiting rankings that uh, have just uh just really gelled together and been great but um it's it, you see like a lot of these teams that kind of like surprise people on the college basketball landscape, like, you know, like look at a Texas tech last year. Um, a lot of them are these teams that get old and then just defend really, really well because that's what kind of veteran teams do. And um, that's uh, yeah. And then that's kind of how they make a name for themselves. But this Tennessee team um, without a lot of talent has found a way to be extremely efficient offensively. And I find that really fascinating. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um interesting kind of backstory on this is that in late in his career at Texas where Rick Barnes was before 
uh, he was fired and, and moved on to Tennessee um, pretty quickly thereafter. Uh, late in his career at Texas, some would say too late, if you talk to, to some of the Texas people who are now, of course, bitter that he's gone, given Shaka's struggles in Austin. Uh, he, he went to school on, on Jerry Sloan's flex offense, which is what they run. Um, and, and I kind of wanted to, I don't know, should we try to talk about what the flex offense does? Well, oh, we can, we, that's our, at least. yeah, you could, you could give it, yeah, we can give it a whirl. <laughs> Let's give it a whirl without a, <laughs> we're doing this without a diagram again, but so, uh, it's an offense that, that was designed really originally by Jerry Sloan, who used to coach the jazz. And, um, the idea is that, uh, it's based on a cut that's called a flex cut. And so they usually have the five players spaced out with, with two players in particular who stay on the weak side uh, baseline, one underneath the basket and one really kind of hugging the three-point line on, on the weak side of the basket. And so um, usually the player with the ball in that scenario would be on the right side of the court. And you have one wing standing near the corner on the ball side. And, and then I've already talked about where the, the weak side players are. So you have your player on the low block. And traditionally, the player who is standing in the corner on the side away from the ball um, cuts across the lane, if that makes sense, using a screen set by the player in the post. And so the player in the post sets a screen, the player away from the ball cuts across, and that is called a flex cut. Now, why is that hard to defend, Eric? Um, that's pretty tough to defend because um, you, you uh, first of all, um, you're probably going to have to defend it with switches with the Gators, and that's going to put them in really kind of tough spots. Um, but it's uh, it's really tough because um, it's if when the one player when the screen comes for the guy to make a flex cut, um, it's kind of one of those things that um, if you chase kind of over top of the screen, if that kind of makes sense, um, the guy can. Um, the guy can kind of cut back and get open for a jump shot. But if you kind of, you can't really chase behind the screen because that's where the pass becomes really easy and the guy can get a layup. Um, but I would just say it's, it's difficult because defending back screens um, is always just, um, uh, just really tough because you have to make a lot tougher decisions of how you're going to guard it. And the flex offense um, and what Tennessee does really well is just tough because it gets a lot of action going towards the rim and uh, gets the ball towards the rim a ton. Um, and I would say that's um, kind of some of the reasons why uh, Tennessee is successful with their personnel and, and why it can be a tough, uh, a tough offense to defend. So Tennessee doesn't like to, to uh, pick on the help defender quite as much as we just talked about one of the things that you can do is somebody comes to help on the screen and you kind of can pick on the help defender. What I mean by that is, uh, well, Eric kind of talked about it, but, but you have kind of quick hitting plays where if, if, if for example, the help, the help comes on the weak side, then yeah. I mean, you can have the guy who comes over the screen or under the screen flare out and they're open for a jump shot or, um, you know, it, I don't know. I guess, I guess the easiest, it's kind of hard to do it without a diagram, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, soon we're going to have to have a video, uh, a video accompaniment to, <laughs> to the podcast for yeah. when we start uh, talking offenses. I guess um, what I'm trying to say is, is sta- traditionally um, these flex cuts are repeated over and over and over again until a defense breaks down. 
Um, and Tennessee doesn't necessarily do that. Uh, what what they do is kind of even more complicated than that. And what they like to do is is space things a little different. They don't put somebody stand in the corner on the ball side very much. So instead, what they'll do, especially with Grant Williams, is have him kind of flash out to the wing and prepare to receive a pass deep, especially now that he's effective shooting from out there. And it's a little harder to defend then because sometimes the defender will sag off a little bit, right? Because they're waiting for the next flex cut. And the problem is that you then have to close out when they pass to Williams, who's usually flashing out to that wing. And Williams is such an elite passer and now a credible enough threat as a shooter that it just puts a lot of strain on the defense, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think um, just yeah, kind of once again, if you see the teams that really run the, the real traditional flex offense um, that, you know, maybe have a little bit more of a traditional lineup of, you know, two ball handlers, a couple wings and, and a big that kind of just um, throw the ball side to side from their guard to guard and wait for the flex cuts to happen along the baseline and wait until someone gets open, like Neil was saying. Um, but because you've got these guys like, like Grant Williams, especially at Admiral Schofield at the, at the kind of forward spots that are so effective at handling the ball and, and passing and shooting um, that they're just not always, they're not looking for just the flex cut that results uh, always in a layup, but yeah, that they can, um, they can hit a, a Grant Williams on the wing and, uh, and make something happen from that there. So um, I think we'll see that kind of flex action to, to start off possessions. And then, um, and then from there, they'll, they'll kind of get into their, um, their secondary actions and um, it'll be really interesting to watch. And um, hopefully uh, <laughs> this, this, this would be a tough scout. I'll say that. I don't know which assistant uh, coach white has on, on the scout. I know he usually, um, you know, it's uh, the coaches get divvied up who kind of get, has the, the primary scout for each team. But I mean, yeah, whoever's got Tennessee, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, it's it's pretty brutal, especially because we've discussed uh, the issues that Florida has with sort of attacking the basket off the bounce. Um, and I think that's probably the weakness of the Tennessee team is the way their guards defend straight line drives. Yeah, that's true. And um, that was kind of something I, w- I was thinking about, and I was going to ask you about this. So um, maybe you just answered the question. But I was going to say, like, <laughs> you know, like if the Gators were to win this basketball game, um, how do they do it? What is the what is the matchup that is in their favor, or what could go really right for the Gators that would um, result in them winning this basketball game? And um, I, you know, I don't really see uh, Keith Stone winning a matchup with with Grant Williams, or right. um, you know, if if the Gators, if the I mean, and if the Gators keep their current starting lineup of you know of uh, Adrian Emhart, Noah Locke, and Kayvon Allen, I mean, uh, one of those three is going to have to guard. Admirable, Admiral, Admiral Schofield, because he usually plays the three for them. Um, I mean, <laughs> Schofield is a powerful, powerful wing, and that's a tough matchup for, you know, Kayvon Allen at, at 6'2". So there's a couple things like that that I'm just uh, – I'm really interested by. But, um, but yeah, the, the one – and I, I won't even call it a weak point because I, I do really like um, Jordan Bowden, and I, I think he's a really good player. And, and Jordan Bone too, I think that they're solid players. Um, but I mean, you're not attacking Admiral, Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams. You've got to attack that backcourt. Yeah, you really do. Um, so I think I would just say straight line drives and guarding the ball are probably the weakness, the only real significant weaknesses that this Tennessee team has in my, in my view. Um, and I would say 
that <laughs> Florida has to figure out a way to, to get their lineup with guys that can kind of go at, at those guards. That means in order to win, Florida's going to need probably a big game from Jalen Hudson. And then yet again, <laughs> jump up and down, wave a flag, you know, saying you can call me out, whatever you want me to do. But I, I, they got to start Keontae Johnson at some point or have him play significant minutes in this game because his body is necessary to deal with Schofield in particular, I think, and because his ability to attack the basket uh, is necessary. Their only one statistical weakness that I see that kind of supports my straight-line drives theory is that Tennessee has a pretty high foul rate. They're like in the 200s. So, oh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. So defending without fouling, like I feel like they probably would be a better defensive team, and they're they're 20th in defensive efficiency, right? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> it's like an elite defensive team too, um, but I bet they'd be a top five defensive team like Florida is if they defended it without fouling a bit more. Yeah, I'm 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 curious to see if the Gators try to um, try to play a, like try to play smaller, and maybe not. And then that's not even you know necessarily the Jalen Hudson at, at the four, but but try to uh, try to play a little bit smaller and, and maybe get a Keontae Johnson there at the four just to see if they can um, get get Tennessee into one of their smaller lineups because when they start Kyle Alexander at the five, I think that's where Tennessee is just really you know physical. They can defend really well, um, but if they can get to the to the lineup where it is. Uh, Grant Williams at the five and, and Schofield at the four, then I think that um, the Gators can get matchups on the floor that are probably a little more beneficial to them. Cause, uh, cause I mean, yeah, right now, if you have, um, if, if they start their normal kind of starting lineup with Alexander at the five and Williams at the four and Schofield at the three, um, there's a, there's a tough matchup for the Gators on the wing, trying to, trying to handle Schofield. So if you can kind of get them to downsize so that you have a Kavarius Hayes guarding, uh, guarding Williams, and then you can get a Keontae Johnson guarding um, Schofield, um, but then you can get um, your three guards out there. I think that'll uh, potentially be a little bit more um, more beneficial for the Gators. But um, I think you've also just got to hope that, um, like I said, Tennessee's not an excellent three-point shooting team. So I think you've just got to hope that you can um, protect the rim well enough that they don't feast down there and then just uh, hope they're having a bad shooting, shooting night on the road. And uh, maybe they're, uh, yeah, maybe that keeps their point total low enough that the Gators can keep things close to the end. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Eve Pawn is another guy who I think Florida can maybe exploit a little bit. Certainly uh, Louisville and Kansas had some luck getting quicker players on Pawn, who is is really long version of 6'6", right? Um, oh, yeah. But uh, maybe not the, the quickest feet. So I don't know. That's like, I don't know what kind of actions you can necessarily run. In a lot of ways, I look at this game and I say, Jalen Hudson just went four for 15 against Arkansas from the floor. And it's great that he put up 15 shots and led the team in attempts and attacked the rim a bunch of times and missed. But would it be nice if he had, like, made some layups and, and built some confidence? Because it's almost a game I can't see Florida winning without Jalen Hudson, if I'm being frank. No, they'll they'll need that kind of explosive um, offensive like performance from like from probably him, but you know maybe you could say Allen or or Noah Locke. Um, the one thing that I think for the Gators, um, especially with Hudson, is is those Hudson attacks and shots just they can't come early in the possessions because uh, they need to keep the possessions low on this one. And and once again, that's not what a lot of people are going to want to hear. 
um, that want the Gators to play a little bit faster. But the thing is that Tennessee is so, so efficient offensively that I don't think you want this to be a really high possession game where Tennessee's efficiency um, on offense kind of wins out. I would like to probably keep it to a lower possession game where hopefully the Gators can defend, uh, defend enough possessions that, uh, that they have a chance to win. I just, uh, if this game is played in the in the 80s, um, Florida is just not winning. But if it's the the high 60s, then I think Florida has the opportunity. So if Florida can kind of make things work and then if, yeah, if it gets down to nine seconds, have Hudson hopefully go to work and, and, and get some buckets, uh, that would be really good. And they'll uh, they'll need that from him. Yeah, no, hard to uh, hard to argue. And, and I mean, keep in mind, I mean, this is the Vols have just been crushing people, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> the last game they had that was that was even within single digits was uh, the the neutral floor win over Gonzaga, and um, for what it's worth, kind of as a an oh by the way a testament to their dominance this season. That was their only single digit victory. <laughs> Every other well, game they've won, they've won by double digit points. Their average margin of victory is twenty. Um, so this is, you know, this is as good a team as has come to the uh, Odom in a long time. Yeah, and I mean, even their loss to Kansas in in overtime. I mean, that game, I it was a toss up, really. And um, uh, I was just gonna say, um, uh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm hoping you haven't looked at it, but I guess you could uh, you could just maybe lie if you have. But um, have you seen the projected score on Ken Palm? And if not, can you make a guess without looking what the projected score is on Ken Palm? I have it, but I'm going to guess it's 69-46. This is shocking, <laughs> shocking to me. But the current Ken Palm projection is a 67-66 to 66 win for Tennessee. So um, okay. whatever, Ken, whatever Ken Palm's got cooking up, he thinks, that, uh, he thinks this is going to be a one-possession game. And he thinks, that's, um, he thinks that the score is going to be really, really low. And that's um, – uh, that's just interesting because, uh, you know, that's like I, I think that's where the game needs to be. But if you look at the projected point totals for just the projected points that Tennessee is supposed to score in Ken Palm, um, 82 against Arkansas, 83 against Alabama, 80 against Vanderbilt, 82 on West Virginia. Um, you go to their games against Kentucky. They've got a road road game against Kentucky. They're projected to score 76. Um, but against Florida, Ken Palm thinks they're only going to score uh, 67 points. And I think that that is a, uh, you know, a testament to how good Florida's defense has been that the metrics think that um, the Gators are going to hold one of the, you know, best offensive teams in the country to 67 points. But I mean, yeah. if that happens, if, if Florida can keep them to 67 points, I, I actually think that they'll be in the game. I'm not going to say that they'll win, but um, they can, they can, uh, they can stay right in it. Yeah. I mean, Myron Metcalf was, uh, was on ESPN radio today talking about how he feels like it's the game of the weekend. Um, and, and he thinks that, that Florida will be probably one of the two or three most challenging games they have. This version, not Florida's trip to Thompson Bowling. But, uh, you know, so I guess a lot of people kind of buy in, to, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, the fact that Florida's defense is going to keep them in a lot of games. I just, you know, like, like we've talked about, obviously it sounds like I'm pretty cynical and down on Florida's chances to win this game. And I think mostly that's just because I don't know how Florida manufactures enough points. Well, and, and I'll just say another thing again. I, uh, we, maybe we just cite Ken Palm far too much on this uh, podcast. <laughs> but 
Um, I'm now on a different page. So that was, um, that was, uh, they were 20th on defense and they were fourth on offense. Is that correct for Tennessee? Yeah. Um, so Michigan state is second in the country in offense and 15th in defense and Florida should have won that game. You know, like Florida did a whole lot of things wrong and, and lost by lost by four. So I think that that kind of puts things into perspective a little bit. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think Tennessee is better than Michigan state. I, I, I see the numbers are say Michigan state's better. I, I think I would, you know, if I was filling out a bracket right now and it's Tennessee versus Michigan state, I I'm taking Tennessee all the way. But, um, in terms of the numbers, uh, Michigan state is an even better offensive team, um, is an even better offensive team than, uh, than Tennessee and, yeah, the Gators kept them to sixty-three points. And well, uh, yeah, that's yeah. a great point. And and my, and Metcalf brought up that, that Florida had played uh, a game that was tied with a minute and a half to go up in Knoxville last year um, against the team, the same, basically the same team that had won the SEC championship. And you'll remember that last year in February is when Tennessee was basically invincible. Like that's the month where they won the SEC last season. Right. And I mean, it's not, uh, it's not as though Florida's, uh, you know, front court is just uh, beaming with talent right now, but I mean, that was six foot three and three quarter Igor Kulikov, uh, <laughs> you know, pl- play, you know, playing some heavy minutes in the front court and um, uh, having a few more options will, uh, will be, be a little bit better for the Gators, I think. And uh, against obviously so will Chris physical Tennessee Chiosa, team. quite honestly, so, so, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, you, you have Nimhard on, Nimhard versus Jordan Bone, I think, is just a little bit different. That with is all due respect to, to Cheese. Yes, that is that is pretty interesting. Uh, I actually didn't even look at the, you know, I actually didn't even go back and look at the uh, look at some of the numbers from from last year's matchup against uh, against Tennessee. But that would have been interesting. But um, <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I I you know it was it was live on this podcast, and I was like, I should go look at the Michigan State kind of metrics to see what it was like, and. You know what? Seeing that they're technically a better offensive team than than Tennessee, and and even more efficient than them, and even better on defense by the efficiency numbers, maybe gives me a little more hope than I did like ten minutes ago when we were talking about the matchup. Um, but yeah, still, uh, it's 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 going to be a great game, and it's one that I I truly am kind of really looking forward to. Yeah, no, uh, I think um, you know we'll we'll see. Maybe I've taught myself into having a little bit of belief here. Uh, I think if you, you know, the, the one thing I did when I when I heard Metcalf reference it was kind of go back and, and look at it a little bit. And, and you know, yeah, I mean, Florida was, uh, I said it was tied with a minute and a half to go. That's not true. It was a two-point game with two minutes to go after a Jalen Hudson three-pointer. Um, and, then, and then Tennessee outscored Florida nine to four um, down the stretch. But the Gators, you know, uh, like you said, Igor Kulachov, 32 minutes last year, two of 10 from the field, um, <laughs> four fouls, four rebounds, just kind of overwhelmed uh, a little bit in that game. DeAndre Ballard played 13 minutes up in Knoxville last year. So it's not like Florida doesn't have guys that, that have faced the Vols before. Um, but, yeah, Florida's leading scorer last year against Tennessee was Jalen Hudson, who had 13 on four of 11 shooting. Um, Chris Chioza added 11 points. Chris had nine assists, so only three turnovers. If you get that number from Nimhard, I think Florida will be in the game. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was the one-two combo of Williams and Schofield that really buried Florida last year. 39 of Tennessee, 62 points from their two stars. 
Oh yeah, and that could uh, that could very much be the uh, be a little bit of the same story this year. But if uh, you know if those two can get theirs, but uh, but Bone and Bowden, uh, maybe they are are you know they they haven't shot the ball super well at the time this year. If they can clank a few jumpers and uh, and you know if, if Schofield and Williams combine for fifty points, but uh, you know their other guys are struggling and turn the ball over lots, uh, they could they could still be in the game. But um, whether I'm interested to see if that's what the Gators kind of try to do, whether it's you know really try to force the ball out of the hands of Williams or um, you know pick one of the two of them that they decide to try to take out of the game, or whether it's you know we'll probably play them a little bit more straight up and and see if we can limit the other guys. Um, I'll be interested to see. Yep. Uh, definitely uh, should be, should be fun. The um, game 6 PM ESPN primetime game. And then Florida has a, a quick turnaround with a Tuesday night trip to uh, Stark Vegas. Back end, uh, probably playing, playing what either will be an angry Mississippi state team or uh, a Mississippi State team is pretty pleased with with a victory over Ole Miss Saturday. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, just it's just funny. I mean, I I've been so just uh, focused on such a tough contest with uh, Tennessee coming up that not that I forgot Mississippi State was up next, but I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I just hadn't even crossed my mind for this podcast just because I was uh, you know so so focused and and hoping that they could uh, <laughs> they could get something going against Tennessee. But um, hey, South Carolina getting a win. Uh, getting a win over Mississippi State certainly makes uh, Florida's crushing loss to them maybe just you know slightly less crushing and uh, yeah, Carolina right. <laughs> hopefully South Carolina going on their little run um, uh, it ends up not being as, as bad of a loss for the Gators that's uh, something to hope for and um, yeah but uh, uh, that's uh, will uh, are we gonna pod, are we gonna pod here but between Tennessee and uh, and Mississippi State do you think or what yeah we'll we'll get a podcast in between Tennessee and Mississippi State where we'll probably discuss both the Miss State game and the Georgia game. Florida, three of their next four on the road after Saturday. So um, we talked about how January was where Florida could build up its record. And I still think that's true, but you still have to win road games. Um, You know, and and Tom Crean and Georgia, that place, that's like they have two games a year at Georgia that sell out, Florida and Kentucky. So uh, the Gators – trip to Stegman sure to be uh, challenging next week as well. So kind of a, a weird one. You'd love to get the home game, right? <laughs> but you... it's against probably the best team they've played all season. I don't think probably. The, uh, this is the best team for us play. I, I think so. And like I said, I mean, if, if we were filling out some – like if it was March right now and um, I had uh, Michigan State and Tennessee – playing in the elite eight or something. I mean, I'm, I'm taking Tennessee all the way. So I, I do think Tennessee is a lot better. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll see after Saturday, if I still believe that or what the general, uh, what the listener thinks I'd love for, for people to say uh, after this, what they, who they think the better team is, but um, yeah, not to, I guess we don't want to just, you know, break down the whole schedule here for the Gators. But I mean, um, if you could get a win at Tennessee, um, maybe you lose at Mississippi state, but then you've got Georgia, Texas A&M, um, TCU and then Ole Miss and obviously Ole Miss has been really good um, but I mean that that is probably your easiest stretch of the year um, I say tentatively because that's still uh, you know that's still <laughs> some tough to basketball teams but I mean yeah if you can get Tennessee 
Um, maybe even if you lose to Mississippi State, but then you, you know, you get Georgia, you get Texas A&M, and, and maybe you win that TCU game in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And I mean, you're, you're looking pretty good here. So uh, um, I know that that loss to South Carolina sucked, but man, the, the Gators are still in pretty good shape if they uh, take care of business on uh, going forward. They are, they are. And, um, you know, big, big challenges. Sometimes uh, this team, as we've discussed, plays to the level of its competition. So we'll see if suddenly the Gators, you know, look like a Sweet 16 team again on, uh, on Saturday because the team they're playing will be in the Sweet 16. It's just a matter of how much further than that they go. <laughs> I know this is, this is like, I, I'm usually not one of those guys that's like, hey, no matter what the matchups are, um, you know, this it team is an elite matter. 18 for me, yeah. but I mean, I, I feel yeah. like Tennessee is so, is so matchup going, proof. If that makes sense, they will be in yep, my, yeah, probably elite eight. <laughs> you yeah. could probably just chalk it in right now. Even if Florida wins by 20 on Saturday, I think, you know, Tennessee is still awesome to me. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And we've seen them play contrasting styles, whether it's Louisville, Gonzaga or Kansas, three very different types of basketball teams. And they looked fine. <laughs> well, and just so, in the way that we're like, you know, what matchup do you want the Gators to pick on? And we're just like not super confident about any of them. Um, drive the yeah, ball. That's how what, you, but that's, we can't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, and that's, uh, that's what's going to happen when I'm uh, filling out my bracket is uh, I'm going to see a lot of teams that uh, um, I'm not going to know. Uh, is, you know, there's no matchup that scares me for Tennessee. And, um, yeah, they're, they're really good. They're a really good basketball team. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, all the listeners, comments, and questions. Thanks, everybody. That's your show for this week. We will be back um, either Sunday or Monday. We'll get something up to recap the uh, Tennessee game. Get you all ready for Mississippi State and Georgia. Again, there will be one show next week, which will preview – Florida's trip to Starkville and then Florida's trip to Athens, which are uh, back-to-back road games in conference. Pretty tough little stretch coming up for the Gators, but, uh, you know, no one said it was going to be easy. All right. Bye-bye.